All right, so we're going to start out by looking at dipping. See, we all want healing. We all want healing in our lives. We all want to be whole. None of us want to walk around broken or hurt or wounded or, or have these problems that, that control us rather than us controlling them. We all want healing. We all want to be whole. If you don't want healing or you don't want to be whole, then you've got some other issues that I'm not qualified to help you with, but I can suggest someone. But the point is, we all, we all want, like none of us want to be broken. I don't sit around thinking, I want to be wounded so I can hurt other people. No. See, we all want healing. We all want to be whole. And remember last week we talked some about scars and scabs and how I can point at a scar and I can tell you a story about what happened, but it doesn't hurt me anymore. See, I can point back at something that happened in the past and healing doesn't mean that it never happened. Healing doesn't mean that I forgot what happened. But healing means that it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't affect how I function. That if you, rub, if you walk up and rub up against me, it doesn't hurt. If it's a scar, but if it's a scab or something I never allowed to heal, then you can rub that scab off. Then I might bleed on somebody that, thank you, sir. I might bleed on somebody that didn't cut me. Scars are okay. Scars are our stories. Scars are our testimony. Testimony is just your God's story. But we need to heal. So I want to start out today by looking at a man that, that had some scabs. He had some rotten flesh. He had a disease that was incurable. It was disgusting. But he was a great man. He had a lot of talent. He was a mighty warrior. But he had some serious issues. 2 Kings 5. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man. See, I told you. He was a great man. With his master. And honorable. Because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. But he was a leper. What? It just told us how he was a great man and how he had saved their whole, all of Syria. And he was a mighty man of valor and he was a great warrior and he was a captain over all these other armies. But he was a leper. Leprosy, an incurable for them, an incurable disease, a flesh rot, highly contagious. You weren't even allowed to live a normal life. You would have to go out and live in a leper colony. Now, how could this man be the captain of the guard and have a house and a family and this great man, but he had this nasty problem? He had scabs. He would bleed. He's a great athlete. He's this and that, but he's an addict. Right? Think about it in our own lives. She loves her kids, but what's your, your leprosy? What's your area of healing? 
What's the but? After all the good things and after the things that God has called you to do and be, then what's the but? <laughs> but he has leprosy. But, but she can't find healing for her hurts and her wounds. Verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. Like how the Bible made sure and told us she was little. A little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria. She's talking about Elisha. For he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed, and he took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold. And ten changes of raiment. Can I just tell you that clothes and money, they can't heal you. Stuff doesn't heal you. Doesn't matter how much of it you pile up. How much of it you hide behind. He took all this stuff thinking that he was going to pay for healing. Verse 6. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel saying... Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, and thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes, and he said, Am I God? He read the letter and rips his clothes and said, Am I God? What? Hold on a second. Your king sent me a letter and sent you his servant so that I could heal you. My God, to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. This is a trap. This is a trick. He's going to tell me to heal him and he knows I can't. And then when I can't, he's going to start a war. It's a trick. King of Israel is getting kind of upset. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes. I guess word, you know how word travels around. King just ripped his clothes and lost it. <laughs> Did you hear what happened? When he heard that the king rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Dude, why'd you, rent your, why'd you rip your clothes? Now the prophet's asking the king, Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel, somebody that can talk to God. There's a connection to God in Israel. So, Elisha sent for Naaman. Elisha told the king, send him to me. 
I just want to point that out before we read the next couple of verses. Elisha knew he was coming. It wasn't like he showed up unannounced or like he didn't know he was coming. All right. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him. Elisha didn't even go out there and talk to him. He didn't even open the door. Dude had to wait out by the front door, and he sent a little messenger out there to talk to him. He knew he was coming. He said, this is what he said to him, Go and wash in Jordan, the Jordan River, seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth. He got mad. Are you serious? I'm a high up official. He can't even walk out here and talk. What is this a joke? He said Naaman got mad. And he went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He had it all planned out in his mind what it was going to look like. He had it all planned out what his miracle would look like, what his healing would look like. It all, it was all, this is what it's going to look like. The prophet's going to come out. He's going to call on his God from heaven. He's going to place his hand and wave it over the spot and I'll be healed. And he got really mad when things didn't look like he thought they were going to look. Look what else he says in verse 12. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? We've got better rivers than this. We'll go down to Chattahoochee. Turn floating around, bumping in the mouth. We got cleaner rivers up north. I'll go back home and get in a river if I want to get in a river. Dude starts insulting their rivers and their waters. And we got cleaner rivers at home. That's not the point. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He got himself so worked up, now he's in a rage. I'm leaving. I'm going home. Why? It didn't look like he thought it would. Because God's plan didn't fit in his box. I got news for you. God's plan ain't going to fit in your box either. The more I try to plan out what God needs to do, the more I realize that's not what happens. (laughs) Nope. Wrong again. And the sooner we can learn that God's plan doesn't have to fit in our box, the better. It doesn't have to look like we thought it would. It doesn't have to look like it looked in the past. God wants to do a new thing. He can do a new thing in the same thing. But it may not fit in your box. It may involve some people that you weren't planning on involving. It it might involve a river that you think is disgusting. It, It might involve, it might take a step of obedience It's not appetizing. It didn't fit in his box and it made him mad. 
Verse 13, and his servants came near. They got up close. When somebody's in a rage, it's hard to get close because you can get hurt. This man was in a rage. He was angry. It takes somebody real close to you, somebody that loves you, that'll get close to you when you're in a rage. Because self-preservation says stay away. And his servants came near. They got close. And they spoke unto him. And they said, my father. Wait a minute. His servants called him my father. That word is family. That wasn't a word that servants used to their master. That was a word that sons used. Let you know how he treats his servants. So I want to ask you who you surround yourself with. Who is it that you've got in your life? And how do you treat people that are lower than you on the totem pole? In fact, we can take this a whole step further. We read it just a few minutes ago. But do you remember where they heard about the prophet and why they're on this whole quest to start with? A little maid, servant girl that they trafficked. From, they stole her from Israel. They went in and killed a bunch of people and she was one of the ones that they tied up and stole and forced her to be their slave for the rest of her life. And it was her idea that he get healed. She had the solution. She had the word of God for Naaman. Must have been treated pretty well. Or she probably would have kept that mouth shut. Yeah, I know somebody that could heal him, but I'm not telling them. Let him die. No. She wanted him to be healed. His servant. Then here we see he's in a rage. He's freaking out. He's ready to head home. And his servants love him enough and care about him enough to get close and say, Hey, hey, listen, calm down. Speak some sense into him. So who do you surround yourself with? And how do you treat people that are lower than you? And his servants came near and they spoke unto him. They said, My father... If the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he said unto thee, wash and be clean. Like they said, look, think about it. Just calm down, take a breath and think about it. If he would have asked you to do something crazy, you would have done it, right? Well, yeah. But he asked you something simple and you're getting angry and mad. All right, today, if I told you um, there's this certain flower and I gave you the coordinates of the only place that it grows on earth and it's on the top of a mountain in China. But if I told you and could make you believe that I had heard from God 
that if you went and got one of those flowers, that you would have total and complete healing. Whatever your biggest problem, whatever your biggest wound, whatever your biggest sin issue, whatever your biggest thing was, that if you went and got that flower, that you would be healed, that you would be free. Would you get the flower? I get the flower. It might take me a while. I might have to train and learn how to climb a mountain and get my lungs strong enough to where I could climb it. I might have to save up some money for an airplane ticket. I might have to learn how to speak the language, speak Chinese. I don't know what I would have to do, but I bet I'd get that flower. I bet you would too. The more pain you were in and the more addiction you had and the more of a giant that was in front of you, the more you would try to get that flower. But when I come at you with something simple like 20-20-20 challenge, you say, I can't do that. Let's be real. Call it what it is. That's what was going on here. His servant said, if he would have asked you to do something crazy, you would have done it. He asked you to do something simple, an act of obedience. He asked you to go down and dip in the water. It's easy. Anybody can do it. Well, I can't do that. Yes, you can. He asked for something simple, but it didn't look like spectacular. It didn't look like what he thought it would look like. Wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like the flesh of a little child. And then he had to find sunscreen. And then he was clean. Guess what? He had to dip seven times. Why? I don't know. Obedience. I mean, we can get into the significance of the number seven and stuff, but I just want to talk about the fact that once he dipped under that nasty, muddy water that he despised, he dipped under and he popped back up and he still had leprosy. He had to dip again. Obedience. Even though he didn't see a change yet, he dipped back under and he popped back up and he still had leprosy and he dipped back under and he popped back up and, and on four, five, six, he had to dip again and dip again. Why? Because that's what God said to do. Not because he saw results, not because things were fixed, not because he had his healing. Not, he, he just had to obey. Period. So dip again. Well, I don't see it working. Dip again. Obey again. Keep dipping. Don't give up. When you obey and things don't look different, dip again. Man, when you when you start tithing and you still can't pay your bills, tithe again. When you read your Bible and you don't hear from God, read again. Dip again. When it's good, dip again. And when it's bad, dip again. Guys, I read my Bible every day. 
There's not a day that goes by that I don't read my Bible. And sometimes I feel it and sometimes I don't. Be real with you. I sit in my office for hours a week preparing messages and reading. And and sometimes I sit in my office and I'll turn on some worship music and I'll start praying. And I can feel the Shekinah glory comes down. I can feel God's presence. I get goosebumps upon goosebumps. I feel like anything I pray could, that God would just say, yes, son. And I'm just lost in his presence and prayer. And I hear Jesse out there getting a coffee bar list in the coffee bar or something. I say, Jesse, don't come in. You'll die. The presence in here is so powerful. (laughs) Other days... I'll sit in there and pray for 20 minutes and turn on the best songs I can think of and I'll get done and say, amen. Hey God, are, are we good? You here? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> did, is it me? Did, did I do something? Right, sometimes, you know what I do? Pray again. I don't quit. Dip again. You don't give up. I've learned to outlast pain. I've learned that sometimes you got to outlast feelings with obedience. And you wash with the water of the word because I've learned that a clean wound heals. We're told that you can wash with the water of the word. So I might get hurt. But you better believe it's going to be a clean wound. And I'm going to keep dipping again. And I'm going to keep washing because a clean wound's going to heal. It's going to be a scar. It's going to be a testimony. You can't live on a feeling. I wish I could sing because I'd sing you more than a feeling. My voice ain't going to let that happen. I apologize. Dip again. All right, let's finish reading this story. Verse 15, and he returned to the man of God. He and all his company. And he came and he stood before him and he said, behold, now I am. I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Now he's going to try to pay for it. But he said, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, I've never paid attention to this part, this last verse. I've read this story so many times and I never paid attention to this part. And Naaman said, shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant, he's asking for me, two mules burden. That means as much as two mules can carry. I want you to give me two mules burden. That means as much as my two mules can carry of earth for thy servant will henceforth 
offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods but unto the Lord he said hey man that mud that river Jordan that mud that I was insulting you mind if I scoop up as much mud off the edge of that river bank and as much as them two mules can carry I need to take some of that mud home with me you think I could take some home and Elisha's like take it go scoop up mud off the riverbank go for it go get you some he wanted mud and he said I'll never sacrifice to any other gods I'm only going to worship God he wanted mud to worship God see he had been healed and this muddy river had been a key in his God story. This muddy river was a key. And he wanted to take some of that mud with him. He wanted to take some of that story with him. Remember the scripture tells us by his stripes, talking about Jesus, by his stripes we are healed. It's where we get our healing. Jesus was beaten and bruised for our healing and then I was thinking about when Jesus was giving communion to the disciples and he was teaching them how to take communion and and Jesus said do this as a memory trigger I do this to remember me remember the sacrifice I'm about to make yes for your salvation but for your healing so that you can be whole so that you can be in relationship remember me here take this bread and wine this practical thing so that you can remember you can remember the story you can remember what happened when people say what are you doing with that you can tell them the story about how I was broken and I died for you what'd he do what'd Naaman do with the mud we don't know it doesn't tell us what he did with the mud. But he took two mules full. A mule can carry a pretty good bit. He took two mules full of mud back. I don't know. Did he stop by the leper colony and rub it on people? Just to see. I mean, did they come across a blind man on his way home? Did he take a couple globs of it and smear it in somebody's eyes? Hey, look, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a theologian. I'm, I don't know how it worked. But, hey, I was a leper when I went there. And, and all I did was obeyed. And I dipped seven times. And, and I'm clean. So if you want, we'll try to use some of this mud on you. And just, I don't know. But I know he's able because he did it for me. You see, this mud is my story. This mud reminds me of where I was. I don't know if it'll work, but I'll rub it on you. And if not, you ain't going to be any worse than you are now. He carried his testimony. He carried a reminder. He said, can I have some mud? Can I have a reminder of what just happened? Look at John 5, 8. 
So in this story, I was thinking about the miracles that Jesus did. And we have 40 miracles recorded that Jesus did. And, and as I was just thinking in my mind about him asking for the mud and about taking something with him, I was thinking in miracles that Jesus did, when did he tell anybody to take something with him? And this one immediately popped in my mind of, and it's the story of the lame man. And he had been lame for 38 years. And Jesus told him, do you want to be made whole? And he said, yeah. And so Jesus said, get up and walk. Right? Walk in your healing. Be made whole. But take up your bed. Take up your mat. Some translations say, take up your bed. And then walk. In other words, take it with you. I just told you what the verse said. No, I didn't even read it yet. Jesus said unto him, rise. Rise up. Take up thy bed. And walk. Why take up thy bed? Because it will be a testimony. Right? It's going to be a reminder of where you were. It's going to be a reminder. It's going to help you tell your God story. People ask you questions. Why are you carrying that mat? That's for a lame man. But that looks like a poor beggar's mat. Yeah, I was. Look at how God's changed me. Look at my healing. See, last week, if you remember, um, in Mark 10, we saw the story of the blind man. And he was required to leave his garment and leave his beggar's cup. He had to leave it behind for his healing. But today we see this man in John 5. And Jesus told him to take something. Take his mat. Tell your story. Remember Revelation says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony or by their God story. The blood of the Lamb, it washes our sins away and puts us back in right relationship with God. And then how else do we overcome? By telling our God story. By looking at the scars that used to be wounds and telling how God came through. And how we grew and how we changed and how I'm not what I used to be. Now that's what I used to be. This is where I am, but I'm not there yet. It's a process. I am becoming the father that I'm supposed to be. I'm becoming the pastor that I'm supposed to be. I'm becoming the husband. I'm, I'm not there yet. None of us are. If you think you are, then that could be a problem because you'll stop growing. Let it remind you of how far you've come. Take your bed, take your mat, take your scars. Remember. See, being lame would always be part of his story. Some of y'all are just lame, and you're always going to be lame. 
being lame would always be part of his story. Right? You don't erase that part of your story when Jesus gives you healing or makes you whole. It doesn't erase that. No, he uses that. But with healing, you can turn the page. Without healing, you're stuck on that part of the story. See, if you don't find healing, you're stuck in the pain. You're stuck on the wound. You can't start writing the next chapter. Being lame would always be part of his story. He could carry the mat. He could point back and tell about the story, but he can walk now. He could enter a 5K. I don't know that his heart and lungs are ready for that after laying around for 38 years, but he could if he wanted to. But we get stuck. It's a phase. You ever heard somebody say that? I think parents made that up. It's a phase. He's just going through a phase. No, he's a brat. Going through a phase. Right? Just going through a phase. You'll grow out of it. Yeah, you'll grow out of it unless you stop growing. I know a lot of people that got stuck in a phase. You're not supposed to live in a phase for the rest of your life. You got to keep growing. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, in Christ, it's great that Christ is in you. That's the hope of glory. But this says if you want to be new, you've got to be found in Christ. Think of it like being in a swimming pool. If you're in Christ, it should affect everything. The way you look, the way you act, the way you talk, walk, breathe, fight, everything should look different. In Christ, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I want to be a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become, or that word is becoming. It speaks of a process. It's not like one time it had become. You look up the meaning of that word, it means becoming a process. It's a progress. It is becoming. All things are becoming new. Life happens in phases. The earth happens in phases. Spring, summer, fall, winter. The ocean tides go in and out. The moon has eight different phases. And we go through phases as well. Phase, the definition is a stage in a progress of change or development. It's a stage. Every phase of your life, it should be a process of change or development. You're changing, you're growing. Nothing's wrong with a new thing. It's just a phase. So on your path to being more like Jesus, there are different phases that we all go through because it's a process. 
Salvation is not a one-time event. One day when you raised your hand or you came down to the altar, that was the start. It's the start of a conversation that you'll have from now for the rest of your life. Salvation is the start of a relationship. It's not a one and done. It's just like a marriage. If you think marriage happened back on your wedding day, then you probably got a pretty bad marriage. It's not just a one and done thing. No. You better keep working. You better keep growing and changing and maturing together. That's just the start. It's a process. It's a relationship. That's what sanctification is. I am being sanctified daily. It's a process. In some phases in my life I'm proud of and others not so much. All right, you know, like I remember when I was a teenager, uh, all my, like most of my younger brothers and a bunch of people in the church, some of y'all can point out, See, Daniel and Tyler and Levi and a bunch of them went through a skater phase. Right? And I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. I got me a good skater hoodie and a skateboard, and you don't even really have to know how to ride. You just carry the skateboard around everywhere you go. All right? Good skater phase. Well, then these geniuses got an idea. I use the word genius loosely. Uh, Got an idea to build a half pipe in our youth center in downtown Waco. I think Travis may have led the charge on that. Whole time I'm kind of nervous because I'm trying to pose in the skater phase, but I can't really skate good at all on the ground, much less on a half pipe. I can't wait till we get this done. Can you? Nope. Sure can't. We built it. I remember getting on it and rolling back and forth up about a foot, up about a foot. And they say, no, you're supposed to get up on the top and drop in. I don't know if I can do that. One of y'all going to show me how? Here, watch Daniel. It'll give you confidence. Nah. I remember getting up there. And they'd say, lean forward. Make sure you lean forward. As soon as I shot off. Luckily, there's some high ceilings in there. Because I feel like I went about 30 feet in the air. I saw Jesus. Asked Paul a couple questions. I hit that thing so hard. I didn't go to the hospital, but I'm pretty sure I broke my tailbone. I couldn't walk right for weeks. I hit my head so hard, I blacked out a little bit. Guess who never tried to drop in again? Guess who was done with the skater phase? Right? No more vans, no more skater hoodie, no more skateboard. I don't even know what I did with that thing. Done. I heard the call from the Lord. You're not a skater. It's not a talent or a gift I've given you. Move on. I say, yes, sir, gladly. I'll find something else. (laughs) Some of them got good at it, but not me. That was just a phase. That wasn't me. 
wasn't who I am. Took a little pain to get me out of it. But it got me out quick. See, God will use pain. Don't get stuck in a phase. Don't start thinking that you are the phase. That's not you. It's just a phase. Don't get stuck there. It's not about what's out here. It's about what's in here. Oh, it's just a phase. He'll grow out of it. Well, he's 47 years old. When's he going to grow out of it? That was just a word of knowledge. I don't know. If you're 47 and you're in here, I wouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know. But if the shoe fits, the face fits. Phases are okay. But it's dangerous if you stop. If you stop growing, stop changing, stop moving forward. They say old habits die hard. You ever heard that? Old habits die hard. It means the bigger you let them get, the harder they are to kill. I told our leadership, we had a leadership meeting last week, and I told them that uh, small problems are just big problems that hadn't grown up yet. Take care of them when they're little. We had an old lady that used to live down at the end of the road here, and uh, she was complaining about her kids one day. She had a couple of twins, and she was complaining about now they were adults. She said, I should have just bashed their heads together when they were young. She was a pleasant old soul. <laughs> uh, but if you take care of it when it's, when it's small, it ain't that hard to deal with. If you don't let a wound get infected, just clean it up and heal and move on. Don't get stuck in a phase. Old habits die hard. I... I heard a story about a man and he moved to Texas and he bought a big old ranch and everybody knew about it and was talking about it because this man came in and bought this 500 acres and so he shows up at the one saloon in town that night and he comes in and the bartender introduced himself to him. He said, hey, how you doing? Well, I'm just going to let you know this is my routine. So I'm going to come in every night when I get done with my work and I'm going to sit right here at this table. And I want you to bring me the three biggest mugs of beer you got. And he said, well, I'll just bring you one mug and I'll fill it up three times. He said, no. You will bring me three at the same time. And then I'll drink those three. And then I'll pay you and leave. And that's what I'll do every day. The bartender said, okay. So this went on for about a week. He'd come in every night when he got done. He'd bring him the three big giant things of mugs of beer and dude would sit there and drink all three of them pay and leave he bartender came up to him one day everybody's been asking why did that dude do that why is he coming there doing that and so bartender finally got up the nerve felt like he built a little relationship with him he went up to him and said hey why do you do this and not just like everybody else they order a beer and then they get refills in the big mug why do you insist on having three and you sit over here by yourself you don't you don't hang out with anybody or anything he said look I got two brothers all three of us and we used to like to go have a beer together 
But now we're split up. And I moved to Texas. And one of my other brothers moved to Oklahoma. And so we made a deal that we would still drink, drink together every night, that we'd drink a beer. So that one's for my brother Tim, and that one's for my brother John, and this one's for me. And so bartender said, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, so every night you're thinking about your brothers, and that's how y'all maintain your connection. All right. So the bartender tells everybody. So now everybody in the town knows what's going on. Several months go by. He comes in looking sad, looking like somebody shot his dog. He said, I'm only going to have two. And they said, oh, no. Oh, man, he looks bad. And they kept looking over and saying he lost one of his brothers or something. Man, he's only having two. So the bartender came over to him and said, I just want you to know from me and the other guys that we're sorry for your loss. He said, what loss? And they said, well, I mean, you look sad, and we noticed there's only two beers, so we figured you must have lost one of your brothers. He said, no, my wife got me going to that Baptist church, and we figured out drinking was a big problem for me, so I promised her I'd quit drinking. But my convictions have nothing to do with my brothers. Old habits die hard. <laughs> a long time to make that point. <laughs> Old habits, they, they die hard. Look at Romans 12. We're going to wrap this up. <laughs> Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I beg you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed. It means don't fit in. Don't fit into the world around you. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. See, we all want a transformation. We all want to grow. We all want to change. We all want to be transformed, especially in the ugly areas or the hurt areas or the wounded areas or the, the lame areas or the blind area. We want a transformation. How? By the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. By the renewing or the resetting of your mind. You hear me pray a lot of weeks. Hey God, come in and change the way we think. That's how we see a transformation. That word renewing is the same as setting like you would set a rat trap. If I set a rat trap and I catch a rat, it's fulfilled its purpose. But if I reset it, it can get another rat. But if you never reset it, then it's useless. You don't get stuck on the first rat. You don't get stuck in a phase. If you want to see a transformation in your life, you got to dip again. You got to reset the trap. You got to renew your mind. Reset it by the resetting of your mind. This weekend, you can be reset. God wants you unstuck, He wants you able to move freely. So don't get stuck on a phase. You ever played phase 10? 
You know how frustrating that is to get stuck on a phase and everybody else is going on and winning the game. Malachi's gotten slick. He'll go over there to Danielle's house. He'll know it'll be getting about, about time mom and dad are probably about to call and tell me I need to head home. So they'll start up a game of phase 10 so that when we call, he can say, well, we're in the middle of a game. Can I finish the game and then come home? Knowing that thing could last 12 hours. You might get stuck on a phase. You might home at 3 a.m. Slick. <laughs> Don't get stuck on a phase. You'll get frustrated. You'll feel like everyone around you is moving on. Their lives, they're, they're moving faster than you. They're doing things that you've been trying to do for years. You, you'll get bitter and angry and stuck on a phase. Many times these phases are an outside or a temporary change. I can change the way I dress or like I change my hairstyle or I can change my playlist on my iPod. It's an outside change. See, change is something you do. Change is good. That's great. On New Year's, everybody makes changes and resolutions, but... Change is good. But this idea of becoming, of being transformed, is not so much about what you do or what happens out here, but it's about who you are. Change is something you do. Transformation is something you become. It's who you are. So how do I get from this to that? How do I get from where I am to where I want to be? How do I get from a bad leader to a good leader? How do I get from unhealthy to healthy? How do I get from a bad marriage to a good marriage? How, how do I get from broken to healed? I have no idea. <laughs> you ever look at an area of your life a person in your life or hopefully you can look at yourself and say like how did this turn into that hopefully in a good way I mean we could have it in a bad way like how did something so good turn into that something so bad but I got some things in my life I can look at and say man how did and how did I go from that to what I am now it's a testimony, it's the story, but from this to that. Do you know whatever you nurture? The meaning of the word nurture is to feed and protect. Whatever you nurture, whatever you feed and protect will grow. You know, when somebody overdoses on heroin, it didn't start that night. It probably didn't even start with a hard drug. It might have been the gateway drug or different reasons and different things. And, but it didn't start right then. It was fed and protected and hit. When somebody has an affair, it didn't start right then. It's thoughts. 
It's looking at things they shouldn't. It's talking to people they shouldn't. It's, it's not having up safeguards. It's, it's... It's been fed. It's been nurtured. It's been hidden or protected so that it can't be destroyed. How you protect something that's wrong is you hide it. Think about this. If you got a little bear cub and you fed it and you protected it, you nurtured it for long enough, it's going to get big. And then you start to realize how dangerous it can be. But it's now stronger than you. Because it has been protected and nurtured and now it's powerful. Sin grows best in the dark. Hidden, fed, nurtured. So what do you nurture? What do you feed and protect? In your mind, in your life, what is it that you're feeding? Think about it. Could be an addiction or it could be a good thing, right? If you nurture, if you feed and protect your marriage, it's going to get better. It could be a great thing. It could be a bad thing. If you feed your faith and protect your faith, then by next year, you're going to have strong faith. It's going to be big. It may even be like that bear, bigger and more powerful than you. That could be a good thing because you've been feeding and nurturing the good thing. Research tells us that the average person speaks enough words in one week to fill up a 500-page book. So I got a question for you. What book did you write last week? Was it a horror was it a drama? I can't even say the word drama without hearing my brother-in-law RJ say it. Drama. How does he, how does he say it? <laughs> Cleveland over there. Was it a drama? <laughs> right? What book did you write last week? Because you choose. Was it a good one or a bad one? Was it life or was it death? Because you get to choose. You choose whether you speak life or death. You choose whether your actions are life-giving or, or they're taking life away. Hey, since I brought him up in this conversation and picked on him, I'll bring him up to... Uh, uh, compliment him as well you know we gave out some awards last week to some of the leadership team and, and it was voted by all the other uh, leaders and so RJ won the uh, the life giving award for 2019 hey that's a pretty good award that other people that have worked yeah that other people that have worked with you all year that's what they they think about you is that you're life giving 
a pretty good book to have written. The words are powerful. Proverbs 18 tells us, A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. And with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I'm sure you've heard that before. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. But have you read the second part? And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You are eating fruit off of the trees that you are creating. He tells us that your words that you choose to speak can be fruit or they can be poison. You choose. You can poison the well. You can speak against what God says. You can run off in your rage and say, I'm not dipping. I don't dip. It was my New Year's resolution. I ain't dipping. I'm not obeying. You can run away. You choose what you will say. Or you can choose to say what God says. You can choose to speak life. What Solomon's saying is you are eating your words. Whatever you're speaking, you're eating. It's going in your belly and you are what you eat. What are you feeding and protecting? Surround yourself with good people. And keep on dipping. Let's pray. God, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for being real. Thank you that we can just come together in your house and and that when we connect, we are the church. And that we can laugh and joke and we can be serious and that you can teach us things about ourselves. God, reveal yourself to us. Help us in this process of becoming all that you've created us to be. Help us find healing for any hurts and wounds that we may have in our life. And God, help us to stop trying to put you in a box. We love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.